So the big question is this. How are gigging musicians like us, who don't make any money streaming, who are spending money from our own pockets, how do we treat our music careers as online businesses in a way that lets us get our music and the things we believe in out to the world, yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Jared Judge, and welcome to the Gigging Musician Podcast. What's up, gigging musicians? It's Jared, and today I wanted to chat about indoor gigs versus outdoor gigs. This was a conversation topic that came up in the Gigging Musicians Facebook group that I run, and it's honestly a factor that makes or breaks uh, pretty much every gig that we do. I mean, every gig that we do, I'd I'd say, is successful now, but it wasn't always that way. I just played a gig yesterday that was supposed to be outdoors, but the weather in Milwaukee is unpredictable, especially in May. You know, one day it feels like summer, and the next, we're back in winter. And yesterday, uh, a couple days ago, it was 80 degrees out, but yesterday it was back down to mid-40s. And the couple who booked us, they wanted to do a photo shoot session prior to their wedding for about 30 minutes outdoors, and then they wanted an indoor ceremony And then they had their cocktail hour planned for outdoors. And, um, you know, our instruments, we play very expensive instruments. Some of our players have ones that are decades, maybe even 100 years old. I'm not too sure what what their instruments are. But, you know, this isn't just string instruments. This is any kind of acoustic or even electric instruments. They're um, sensitive to temperatures. And, you know, let me just back up even further very on in the early days of Dream City Strings, my my string quartet, I didn't exactly know what I was doing. You know, when we all start our bands, there's no uh, guidebook on how to start and run a gigging group, although I'm trying to change that with what I'm doing with Book Live Pro. But there was no book for me. And so uh, one of the things that came up very early on was outdoor gigs and how unpredictable they were. And two quick stories before I return to the yesterday's story. The first one was, um, there was an outdoor gig booked way back in the early days. It was like one of our first gigs and it was, um, a rooftop of a restaurant for a wedding ceremony and it was in the heat of summer. And at that point I didn't understand, like we have control over the conditions of our performance. And so I did not know to put in our contracts, a temperature clause or a shade clause because, um, you know, the, the thing that happened was we had to play outdoors in hot sun. And one of the players, um, you know, she, she was used to a bit more of a controlled performance condition. And after the gig, I got an earful from, from her just saying how, you know, you're causing me to get skin cancer. And I don't want to play for you if you're going to keep having me play outdoor gigs which I totally sympathize and empathize for because, you know, I don't want to get sunburnt or skin cancer from an outdoor gig. But at the same time, it was just, I was so early on in in my career of running a string quartet, running a gigging group, that it it felt very um, unappreciative. Like, there was definitely a more tactful way that they could have chewed me out. But at the same time, I understand. But, you know, if you're a band leader, you know, How many times have you felt like that? How many times have you been chewed out by somebody you work with for something that, you know, are they doing any better? Are they, are they helping you solve that problem? Um, but that's kind of the, the role that we take as, as band leaders is we step up and we, we 
take on this leadership role. It's even if we're not necessarily thinking that, hey, we're leaders. Um, well, we are. So we, we subject ourselves to that kind of um, responsibility, I'd say. So then the second story was, you know, I got a little bit wiser about that and I started to require shade for each of my gigs. And so as we're doing the booking with the couple, we talk about, you know, if this is an outdoor gig, we need full shade above our heads. And most couples, we, when they ask like, hey, how do we do that? Either sometimes the building has an awning next to it or, um, but the most common thing is that we suggest a 10 by 10 tailgating tent that they could rent or maybe their venue has it. And I've, t- I've worked, I, I still do, I work with several groups who actually own their own tent and they have an add-on rental fee, kind of a nice little upsell to make more money per gig and also ensure a suitable, shady performance condition. Unfortunately, I had this one gig down in Chicago. Um, this was like the second year of playing in the, um, running the string quartet. The gig was outdoors in, again, in the middle of like July or August, the hottest part of the year. And it, it was shady because we had a tent now. But unfortunately, one of the violinists, this, so we had the shade clause in our contract, but not the temperature clause in the contract. And so, I don't know, the temperatures climbed pretty high, and one of the violin players at this gig actually had his instrument um, crack a little bit because the temperature was so extreme. And that was, you know, very unfortunate. I felt so bad for him. And, uh, you know, we, we helped figure out the situation. But unfortunately, like for that gig, he was decommissioned from that gig. He couldn't play with a cracked instrument. And then, uh, you know, he had to take care of all the repairs and everything. And I'm sure he felt pretty crummy and possibly resentful at me for, for doing the, setting up those performance conditions, which I, I felt bad about, of course. Again, it's the burden that we band leaders have to bear Um, because we make it happen. We make these gigs happen for people who haven't chosen to become band leaders like us. So that was, the lesson from that one was, okay, I need to start having a temperature clause in my contract saying, you know, we don't play unless the temperature is within this very specific range. And, you know, different groups tolerate different temperature ranges, but you are in control of that. You get to decide what is too cold, what is too hot. Um, I've heard temperature ranges the people are willing to tolerate between like some as, as low as like 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, some as high as like 90 maximum, but you may choose to go lower. You may choose to go higher. But what I would suggest if you're a band leader, that's just starting out, ask your players what they would like to tolerate. That way they get a say it's, it's feels more democratic. The, um, and then once you agree on those numbers, then you can put that into your contract saying, you know, we will not play unless the temperature is within these two parameters. And also make people aware of that before they sign your contract because, you know, you don't want to surprise them on the wedding day by saying, hey, we can't play because it's too hot. Um, the caveat to that is that people will be very sticklers. They will be you know, very picky about how this works. So they might say, well, my phone says that the temperature is within the range, but when you're at the gig, very clearly it it doesn't feel like 
it's within in that range. So what I started to do after that was I bring an actual thermometer. I bought it off of like Amazon.com that I throw in my violin case. And it, uh, whenever there's like a temperature question, I always check that. And if there's a dispute, you know, I'll pull out that thermometer. And, and if it's within that number, it's, it's very logical. There's no emotion to it. And if it's within the range, it's within the range. If it's not, well, then the contract says we can't play. And so for me, it's nice because it takes all the emotion out of it. Um, events, live events and, and gigs are emotional. There's a lot going on. You're kind of sometimes feeling like it's fight or flight response. You know, you just got to make it happen. And so having that thermometer dictating the rules and being the bad cop means that you don't have to be the bad cop. You don't have to be like the bearer of bad news or the the negative person who says, I'm not willing to do this gig. It's like, no, these are the rules that were set forth. And unfortunately, this doesn't fall within the parameters of the rules. So that was a very long set of stories. Um, Yesterday's gig was underneath our temperature parameters. And so luckily... This venue that they played at, it was the Ivy House in downtown Milwaukee. It is a venue that's owned by a DJ company, which means their sound system is incredible. Props to Ramsey Reno, who owns the Ivy House and that whole uh, Milwaukee Airwaves DJ company. Their venue is just so cool. The DJs that they work that work for them are amazing, the venue staff. Plus, we had my favorite wedding planner working that gig, so it was just a dream team that made it happen. What we did was we, the the couple actually decided to do photos indoors because it was very cold. And so we played their indoor photo session, which was great. But then the DJ company mic'd us up with really nice concert style microphones. And they have speakers set up inside and outside the venue in the cocktail hour space. And so we were able to still play the entire length of the gig from a very comfortable indoor performance space. And our music was able to be heard inside and outside the entire time. So really, for the string quartet, it was a dream gig. And for the couple, they got all of the music that they hoped for. We didn't have to like not play any part of it. And for the, the wedding planner and the DJ company, it was just an amazing collaborative team effort there that made this beautiful wedding happen. And it was just so exciting. It was one of my favorite gigs, despite it not being able to be what the couple wanted with the outdoor portion of it. Everybody worked together to make it happen. And that's what this is all about. You know, being a musician is not just being a member of the musical community. It's, it's being a member of the community of the event that you're at, creating a community, creating something special that the people there are going to remember for the rest of their lives. So uh, that's me gushing over this gig. I just love playing gigs so much, and I'm so excited that they're back. If you uh, enjoyed this podcast, make sure to like and subscribe to it. And if you're interested in launching your gigging act or taking your current gigging act to the next level, I'm running a weekly masterclass on how to do exactly that. Go ahead and check it out at bookliveprocom masterclass. And head to bookliveprocom to get your two-week free trial of the software I use to manage every single gig and make sure everything goes perfectly. Thanks for listening. See you on the next Gigging Musician podcast. 
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Gigging Musician Podcast. If you like this episode, then please take a screenshot on your phone and tag me and post on Instagram, letting me know what you liked about this episode and let me know what you would like to hear in future episodes that will help me serve you better. Also, I would love to invite you to my upcoming five-day full-time music challenge. Just give me five short days and I will show you a step-by-step plan to make real consistent income with your music. It's totally free and you can register on fulltimemusicchallenge.com. That's fulltime, one word, no dash in between, fulltimemusicchallenge.com. Thanks again and I hope to see you in my next challenge.